Happy Mother's Day. If you are a mom here today, raise your hand. Oh, wow, lots of you guys. And how about grandmothers? Great-grandmothers? Oh, wow, bless you, bless you. It is a special day, and I think next to Christmas and next to Easter, it is one of my favorite days. Um, it's especially um, special in the Singleton house. Uh, Rob sleeps in. Um, I make him breakfast in bed. He doesn't have to preach. And uh, we'll take him out to lunch afterwards. And Wait a minute. It's Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, anyway, I'm just kidding. It is truly special to be a mom. I remember the day. I remember the very moment I found out I was a mom. Got that positive line on the EPT, and Rob and I said, oh, my goodness, let's look again. Rob's like, let's look again. Let's look again. Is it true? Is it true? We cheered. We hugged. We called my parents. We called his parents. Such a wonderful day. And with all that excitement and all that wonderful anticipation of great joy of what's coming, uncertainty crept in. Would he look like Rob? Would he look like me? Would he get Uncle John's big ears? What kind of personality would this baby have? Would they be a life of the party or a more quiet, reflective soul? Would they like music? Would they like sports? How about art? Maybe they'd like to build or invent. So much of life, so much of life seems like a mystery. And I think sometimes we are puzzled, even as we study the Word of God, we're puzzled by the story Rob is, or God is writing on our lives. As moms, we want to know the will of God, but we struggle with decisions and circumstance. We look for signs, but we're not always sure we're finding them. We look for clues, but we're not sure we're seeing them. None of us knows what God knows. We walk by faith as he leads, but the will of God isn't really as mysterious or difficult to discern as we sometimes make it out to be. Scripture makes it very clear that God, first and foremost, wants us to know him, to have a relationship with him, to bring glory to him by the way we live our lives, by how we relate to others. It's best summed up in Matthew 22, and it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life said it this way, it's not about you. It's not about you. Life is about God. God is the creator of all, and all of creation, including me, including you, all moms everywhere, all people everywhere, we exist to bring him glory. This is where certainty begins. It begins with knowing God. You have to know God before you can know his will. Matthew 10:39 in the message puts it this way. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. I am blessed to have my mother and my dad here today. And it's going to make me cry because <laughs> we're not always together. I love you, Mom. We're not always together on Mother's Day because Rob preaches. She lives in a different state. So today is really very special for me. And um, my mom told me that 
Even though she grew up going to church, it wasn't until she was a mother that she put her faith in Jesus Christ. She told me that in the hospital when they brought me to her, she held me, new baby in her arms, she was just overcome with this tremendous love, this tremendous love holding this baby. And my mom and dad were only 19 at the time. My mom began to wonder, as all moms do, oh my goodness, how can I handle this? How can I handle the responsibilities of motherhood? And it was then and there in the hospital that she asked Jesus to be her Savior and her Lord. At that moment, certainty stepped into my mother's life, and she began to chase after God's will. And how did my mother know God's will? She found it in the Word of God. In fact, every command in the Bible represents the will of God for specific areas of our life. One of the best revelations of God's will is found in our text today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pastor David Jeremiah says we can think of this one thin paragraph of Scripture as a self-contained microcosm of the Bible's teaching about his will for our personal attitudes. These simple rules create sunny souls, positive spirits, uplifting personalities, and true optimists, people who understand deeper, the deeper layers of life. These three tiny verses are short enough to memorize in just a few minutes, but strong enough to transfigure your personality for a lifetime. I want to be that mom. I want to be that mom with a sunny soul who's positive and upbeat for my children. This morning, we're going to look at God's three-point plan for knowing and doing His will every day. Number one is jump for joy. In our text for Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Rejoice always. And when are we to rejoice? Always, always. This isn't one jump and then you're done for the day. No, this is more like a trampoline where you're jumping, jumping, jumping. It's like sky high where you jump front to back, side to side, off the walls. It just keeps going, perpetual jumping for joy. And you know, we all experience joy, especially when we're involved in things that interest us. Pastor Jeremiah says we shouldn't be ashamed to say that we love what we love, whether it's sports, cooking, politics, gardening, travel, photography, music, whatever it is. When we connect with people who love what we love, we are usually better for it. And why? Because what bubbles to the surface is joy. Take my son, Nathan. My Nathan loves to run. He's sitting right here in the front row. And when he runs with his cross-country team, he experiences joy. One of his favorite Olympic runners is actually Eric Little, a Scottish missionary. And you may have seen the inspiring movie about him, Chariots of Fire. Um, and you've probably heard his often quoted words, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. God takes joy and pleasure when we excel in desires that honor him. So shouldn't we too feel that joy? And yet, it seems like the experience most missing from the average Christian's life today is joy. It's easy to be happy when you're opening Christmas presents, when you're strolling hand in hand with your lover, 
when your children are behaving, you know, that's always joyful, or when you're, yeah, when that happens, or when you're strolling um, on the beach, maybe in an exotic uh, vacation locale, that's easy. But what happens when a loved one dies? What happens when the toys rust and your money's stolen and the party's over? It seems like then sometimes happiness flees and despair sets in. So how is it that we can have joy during those times? It has been said that happiness depends on circumstances. Joy depends on Christ. You see, joy is that deeper dimension of happiness, that deep-seated conviction that God is in control, God is good, and therefore I have nothing to be downcast about. But when we really feel like crying or screaming or shaking our fists, how do we rejoice? I have learned to go straight to what I call the joy book, the book of Philippians. Paul wrote this joyful letter when he was in prison. And I have to say, prison seems like the least likely place to find joy. The Roman prisons were um, especially challenging an environment. Their prisoners were first taken in, they were stripped naked, they were flogged, they were beaten, and they were tied into uh, chains, bound by chains, wrists, legs, bound up. Their bloody wounds left untreated. The prison cells were very dark, and crowded, and cold. Um, there was no food, or food was very scarce, and it was of poor quality. And there's no toilets in a Roman prison, so they reeked with the stench of human waste. Not a place, I think, would be my first thought for joy. And yet, Paul wrote this book from Roman prison, and he wrote about joy 16 times, mentioning it in that short little book, culminating with Philippians 4.4, 4, which, which he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The secret to Paul's joy is grounded in his relationship to Christ. Joy was Paul's lifestyle. His joy certainly wasn't based on his prison circumstances. In Galatians 5:22, it tells us that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a supernatural manifestation of Christ's life in us, but it is up to us to embrace the Spirit's work in every situation of our lives. Paul lived with joy, fully embracing his conviction that God is good God is in control and will bring good out of every situation for his glory. Moment by moment, especially in difficult moments, especially in the prisons, the dark, deep places of our lives, God wants to release his joy. And we will experience his joy as we shift our focus off of our circumstances and on to Christ. You know, Rob and I were talking about this, and and. We were saying, Rob came up with this idea. He says, Michelle, it's like a spiritual hot potato. You know, you catch the potato, but, but that's focused on yourself. So you've got to get rid of it. And you throw it away just as quick as you get it again, you get rid of it. And you get it back and you get rid of it. That's what we do. That's how we're going to experience God's joy. If we take that self-focus when it comes to us and we throw it back, we get rid of it. Our second point in God's three-point plan is to talk to God. In our text today, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. The Greek word for without ceasing is adialeptos, okay, which translates don't stop praying. 
Now, this is a tough word to say in the Greek. In fact, I asked Rob, am I, am I saying that correctly? Am I getting this right? He said, no. He said, Michelle, just say it with confidence. He says, nobody there speaks New Testament Greek. They'll never know. Except, he said, don't look Craig Fusainer in the eyes. He said, he might be the one exception. <laughs> so this adeleptos, okay, this, this never-ceasing prayer, okay, what it's not are two dudes passing on a college campus. Sup. Okay? In fact, Rob says SUP stands for SUP, Stop Unnecessary Parlay. <laughs> okay? But what it is, you know, those two people, they don't really want to have a conversation. They're just passing. But what it is, is two people walking together, going in the same direction. They can have a meaningful conversation. For a Christian, this may last a lifetime. Okay, you have to be engaged with God. You have to be together with him going in the same direction to pray without ceasing. And maybe today's the day you ask yourself, am I supping God? Maybe saw this in the news. Okay, last week, Beyonce published a list of her specific demands for every venue on her Mrs. Carter world tour. Okay, anybody see this list? Just me. Okay, I don't really read those magazines at the uh, checkout stand at the grocery store. I just happened on this. Okay, well, let me share with you this list. First of all, no junk food. Okay, I'm good with that. Her crew can only wear clothes made of 100% cotton. The use of titanium straws to drink special alkaline water served at exactly 21 degrees Celsius. Okay, red toilet paper. Where do you get this stuff? Freshly painted white walls in her dressing room with a new toilet seat. And the salad bar must be comprised only of green items. Okay? By the way, the titanium straws per concert totally cost $935. Okay? Per concert. Okay? And there's one more. Hand-carved ice balls from water imported from Switzerland to cool her throat after she sings. Okay? Honey, do you have those for me after I speak today? <laughs> just checking, just checking. You know, in contrast, our prayers should not merely be asking or presenting a list of demands to God. Prayer is conversation with God. It's talking and listening, mostly listening. Mother Teresa said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. If you live your life this way in this never-ending conversation with God, soon you'll know his will without ever having to ask because your will becomes his will. It's one and the same. This is one of the greatest goals of the Christian life. Perhaps the greatest honor is to teach your kids to walk this way as well. As long as you're stepping in the steps of God, you can be certain you are leaving footprints for your children to step in that match the will of God. You know, there's nothing like children that will prompt a mom to pray. We pray with our kids when they're sick. We pray for their safety. We teach our kids to pray before meals. We teach them to pray at bedtime. And as moms, we manage to squeeze in a few devotional minutes in the morning. But even with all this, it hardly amounts to adioleptos prayer that doesn't stop. And yet, how can we pray nonstop? There's so much vying for our attention. 
We've got meals to prepare, laundry to wash, there's a home to clean, toys to pick up, groceries to buy, not to mention we've got to get the kids to school, we've got to shop for clothing for them, there's school parties, track practice, there's recitals, and on and on. Sometimes I ask myself, who has time to pray more? But perhaps the better question is, how can we not pray more? You know, sometimes it's helpful to look at prayer like spiritual breathing. In fact, let's just try an exercise right now. Everybody close your eyes and think about breathing. You're breathing right now. The air is going in. It's coming out. You've been doing this all day. You've been doing it all week. In fact, you've been doing it your whole life. And if you stop doing it, your physical life will end. Okay, you can open your eyes. Interesting. Humans can go 40 days without food, four days without water, but only four minutes without oxygen. Just as breathing is necessary for physical life, so prayer is necessary for spiritual life. One vivid example is Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was born in France in the 1600s, and when he was 18, he placed his faith and his life in the hands of Jesus. At age 25, he um, applied for a job at a monastery. Now, he was not an educated person, so he could not become a monk. And they gave him a job working in the kitchen, washing dishes and peeling potatoes. And there, Brother Lawrence stayed for 55 years. 55 years. And us moms, we think our jobs will never end. 55 years in the kitchen. How does an uneducated kitchen worker become a hero of the faith? Well, get this. Because his busy job in the kitchen was so intense, Brother Lauren was not often released by his superiors to go to the chapel with the monks for prayer and worship. So right then and there, Brother Lawrence decided to make his kitchen his sanctuary. There he developed a life called practicing the presence of God. Before long, he had such radiant peace and constant joy that the monks began going downstairs to the kitchen for counsel. Even the highest officials in the monastery and the visiting dignitaries to the monastery would go down to the kitchen for counsel and his guidance. Perhaps the most famous quote from Brother Lawrence is this one. He said, the time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees at the blessed sacrament. To get the scene, it's a busy pit kitchen. Several people are calling for different things all at the same time. Moms, I don't know about you, but that sounds like my kitchen every day. It's a crazy, chaotic place. I love it. It's crazy. It's chaotic. And yet, Brother Lawrence peacefully went about his tasks all the while talking to God. You see, he understood that God was omnipresent. He was everywhere. In fact, there is nowhere you can go away from God. Moms, he's present with you in your laundry room. He's present with you when you're cleaning the bathroom and when you're driving your kids to school. He's present in our country's courtrooms, our schools, prisons, nightclubs. He's present at your office. And just like Brother Lawrence found out, he is present in our busy kitchens, and he longs for us to experience him. He longs for us to have 
that constant conversation with him, he wants to know us in a deep, real way. And I encourage you, keep talking to God and make listening the better part of your conversation. Keep God conscious in your mind at all times, all day long, because he's always with you. And teach this to your children. You know, anyone is capable of a close, intimate relationship and dialogue with the Lord. When Juliana was in kindergarten, and my daughter is sitting right here, um, she was uh, going on a field trip, and the school had parent drivers. So she was in the back of a van, and uh, they were going to an apple orchard. They arrived at the apple orchard, but Juliana fell asleep in the back of the van. So all the kids filed out, parent chaperones got out, door shut, child lock on, Juliana was left in the van. Okay? She looked out the window only to see her, her friends, the teachers, everybody running off to the apple trees. Okay? She banged on the window, crying for them to hear her and let her out, but they did not hear. In fact, it was three hours later when they noticed that Juliana was missing. Okay? But Juliana, um, when I picked her up that night, I asked Juliana, how did you handle this? What did you do when your friends were picking apples? She said, Mommy, she said, well, I tried to get out, but when I couldn't, I prayed, and I waited for God's answer. It was just that simple. So even at five years old, Juliana was learning that everywhere she can find God, and she can talk with him. Her prayers would be heard, and God blessed her with enough peace and calm that she was able to fall asleep, which I think was a blessing for three hours. Recently, I said goodbye to a friend of mine whose physical body has been devastated by cancer. She's a 40-year-old mother with two young girls, and once hospice came in, she was too weak for visitors, and our last communication was by email. And this is what Ashlyn wrote. She said, the time has come already, the time of slowly starving myself because there's nowhere for the nutrition and hydration to go. The time to say goodbyes, but with little or no energy to stay awake to do so. To have time with the girls, but just getting downstairs takes everything out of me. I confess I have been praying less. I always thought when I got to this point I would be praying always unceasingly. Now it seems I am only sleeping unceasingly, and I'm terribly discouraged. Please, Lord, even though this disease takes the physical, shield me and guard the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual. I feel the testing and the trying to pull me away here at the last. Continue to pray. You are my call to prayer, and you are carrying me through. I wanted to focus on the remaining work, rest, and the joy of living. Instead, it feels nearly all about the hard work of dying. You know, none of us know how long we have to live or how long we have to pray. With what years we have left, while we are yet able, may we spend our days in unceasing prayer. The third point today is endless gratitude. Our text says, give thanks in all circumstances. Have you ever known a truly thankful person? Well, they're so much fun to be around. They're uplifting. You know, it's funny, when they have a hacking cough, they're thanking God for the parts of their bodies that are working well. When they face a setback, 
They're thanking God for the things in their lives that are working right. G.K. Chesterton was a 19th century English writer, and he observed this. He said, you say grace before meals. All right, but I say grace before the concert and before the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip my pen in the ink. He said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. And he's right. Part of God's plan includes cultivating an attitude of gratitude. But please catch this. Our text says we are to give thanks in everything. Notice it doesn't say for everything. You know, some things are evil and hurtful and harmful and tragic. I don't think it's necessary to thank God for those things, but we can thank him for his blessing in the midst of those things. Ministry has always been a part of Rob's and my life, and um, it's what we are called to do, it's what we know, and it's what we love. Last year was the hardest year of our lives. Um, we experienced uh, painful betrayal and ongoing slander from people that we loved and had worked alongside of. And many of you walked that difficult journey with us and uh, we were carried by your love and your prayers and your kindnesses, your words of encouragement, and I thank you all very much for that. A friend of mine who is a, is a little bit older than me, um, she's been a pastor's wife for many years and has mentored me, she challenged me during that time. And she said, Michelle, she says, what I want you to do is a little exercise that I have called um, count your blessings. And uh, she encouraged me to write down my blessings as I would remember them. And so one dark, sleepless night when Rob and I were first going through our, our little trial, our big trial, um, I did that. I pulled out a little journal and I started writing, blessing, blessing, blessing down. Page after page I began feeling of all the blessings God had given us and of all the good he had brought out of our ministry. And I have to tell you that it was so healing for me to do that. I found that Nancy Lee DeMoss's words were true. And she wrote, when I chose gratitude, I was able to avoid getting sucked into the undertow of this fallen world. Life started feeling less worrisome and less overwhelming. She also wrote, a lack of gratitude manifests itself in fretting, complaining, and resenting. Even in the midst of turbulent waters, choosing gratitude rescues me from myself and my runaway emotions. It buoys me on the grace of God. Carol Lewis was another woman who wrote a book called A Thankful Heart, and it was based on 1 Thessalonians 5.18. She wrote this, though, after suffering the tragic loss of her daughter who was killed in a car accident on Thanksgiving Day. She claimed that this verse sustained her. She wrote, Developing a thankful heart for all the moments of our lives, both good and bad, mean that instead of ranting against the things we can't change, we choose to thank God. She said, I believe that being thankful to God has the potential not only to alter our perceptions of circumstances, but also to heal our hearts 
during the most painful circumstances of our life. No matter what our circumstances, whether in hardship or suffering, bitter disappointments, even when wrongly treated, we can find a reason to be thankful. You know, the challenges and uncertainties mothers face today are greater than ever. They can be quite demanding, but I am certain of this. By pursuing God's three-point plan, including jumping for joy, talking to God, and endless gratitude, we can be that sunny, optimistic mom that God made us to be. Mothers and grandmothers, I honor you today. And together, beginning today, I hope we will all remember to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in all things to give thanks, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for each of you. Blessings to you.